Cultured Hollywood for Smart People for Tuesday, August 6, 2019. I'm Nico. I'm your host talking movies, television, music, and so much more in a way that smart people can enjoy them. Welcome back, Cultured Heads. Los Culturinos. Cultured Culties. The Cult of Cultured. The Cultured Family. Too far? Nah. I think that's right on brand. Hey, y'all. Welcome to the program. I'm Nico. Thanks for listening to my podcast. I'm back. I know it's been a minute. I've been so busy. Man, life just keeps getting in the way. But I will not let that stand in between me and this microphone and the goodness, the greatness that is the world of Hollywood and popular culture. Um, Look, man, life's been tough lately, I think, for everyone. The world doesn't have a lot of happiness in it right now. And that is for good reason. Most people are very upset. And if you were to turn on a news broadcast or flip through the paper of your choice, I don't imagine the content would pump your veins full of optimism. It's just tough times out there. So here's what I'm going to try to do. I'm going to try to keep things chippy today. I'm going to try to begin and end this show on a positive note. Because we're not talking real news here on Cultured. We're talking Hollywood. We're talking Tinseltown. There ain't that much to complain about. It's silly. It's nonsense. It's goofy. It's entertainment. So I can think of no better way to fulfill this mission statement than to begin with this story from the Wall Street Journal published just this week. Fast and Furious stars, complicated demand. I never want to lose a fight. I'll read on. Franchise leads Vin Diesel, Jason Statham, and Dwayne Johnson wrestle for more, quote, muscle time, forcing fight choreographers to get creative. How much of this should I read? You know what? I'll just read (laughs) until I get bored, because I imagine that's about the time you'll get bored with this. Here we go. Vin Diesel didn't want to look like a wimp. The actor was in rehearsal for yet another fight in his seventh Fast and Furious movie when he started to sense his co-star and on-screen opponent, Jason Statham, was landing more blows than he was. Mr. Diesel had an idea, as always. Why not assign numerical values to every move? Headbutt, roundhouse kick, body slam, so he could calculate a total and determine if the two men were getting pummeled evenly. In Hollywood, where sheltering the tender egos of action stars is increasingly a cost of doing business, no leading man is willing to look less macho than the other. Nowhere is that more apparent than the Fast and Furious franchise, where an arms race of machismo can break out between Mr. Diesel, Mr. Statham, and their third beefy co-star, Dwayne Johnson. Mr. Diesel's points plan was eventually abandoned once everyone decided it was too complicated, according to a person present who worked with the star, but it was an example of the delicate balance that must be reached on every set the men are on. The ninth film, Fast and Furious Presents Hobbs and Shaw, opens Friday. Now, I will have you know, ladies and gentlemen, because I'm Nico and I do these things, I, of course, saw Hobbs and Shaw this weekend. Um, Anytime something with the Fast and Furious label is released in a multiplex, I'm first in line. So, sat through this movie. It's two and a half hours long. 
Um, uh, quite lengthy, quite enjoyable, a lot of action sequences. But I got to say, if I'm being frank, this article sort of affected the way I watched the movie. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing. Perhaps my viewing experience was enhanced by this information. But it's sort of like that time someone explained to me the Arrow and the FedEx logo. Remember that day? Some idiot thought he was being clever and he's like, hey, you ever look deeply at the FedEx logo? You see the arrow hidden between the E and the X? And when you saw that, you could never look at the FedEx logo the same way again. You always saw the arrow. That was my experience with the Fast and Furious franchise. I found out this information and now every time I watch Vin Diesel and Dwayne Johnson fight each other, I'm thinking about Oh, right. Neither of them can lose this fight. It's in their contracts. I'll go on. This is according to a producer. Uh, the guy's name is Michael Fatrell. Fatrell. <laughs> uh, here we go. Throughout the series, fights are choreographed to ensure that none of the leads comes out looking like a loser said Michael Fatrell, a producer on five of the movies. Does vanity play a role in these decisions? No comment, said Mr. Fatrell, before adding, of course it does. <laughs> According to producers and crew members on the film, Mr. Statham, 51 years old, negotiated an agreement with the studio that limits how badly he can be beaten up on screen. Mr. Diesel, 52, has, has his younger sister, a producer on the films, policed the number of punches he takes. And Mr. Johnson, 47, enlists producers, editors, and fight coordinators to help make sure he always gives as good as he gets. When Mr. Diesel barreled Mr. Johnson through a wall in Fast Five, it took about eight seconds before Mr. Johnson pushes Mr. Diesel through a different wall. So because of these egos, and look, as this article points out, action stars who behave like divas are a tale as old as time. Like Stallone and Schwarzenegger built the foundation that The Rock and Vin Diesel currently reside on. Okay? So it's nothing new. Outlandish demands from action stars are nothing new. But the thing about these demands is that they forced the writers, directors, and producers behind the Fast and Furious series to abandon everything they know about compelling cinema, to abandon everything they know about conflict and peril in favor of image, because that's all The Rock and Vin Diesel and Jason Statham are interested in. They want to look good. They want their smiles to radiate. They want their muscles to glisten. And they want their personalities to appear larger than life. So that's what they're going to get. They don't care about character motivation. They don't care about exposition. They don't care about method. They just want to look sexy and tough and machismo. So fine, you can't lose a fight scene. Well, look, if I am a writer on Fast and Furious Presents Hobbs and Shaw, I would be a little peeved by this demand. I got to be honest. Because look, I'm no expert. Far be it from me to lecture Vin Diesel and Dwayne The Rock Johnson on filmmaking. But as I see it, fight sequences are only interesting 
if someone's losing, if the hero is in peril, if there are legitimate physical stakes. Remember Empire Strikes Back? Great movie. Darth Vader, Luke Skywalker had a lightsaber battle at the end of that movie. That scene wasn't compelling because Luke and Darth Vader were evenly matched. That scene was compelling because Luke got his fucking hand chopped off. Those are stakes. That's conflict. That's movie making. (laughs) If you gotta land the same amount of punches blow for blow, it's ballet. It's figure skating. There's no conflict. There's no drama. There's no tension. So, like, I read this article, and I go see Hobbs and Shaw the next day, <laughs> and every fight scene, I'm I'm watching the amount of blows, and I'm, like, counting the amount of, because this is how my mind operates. I'm very scatterbrained when it comes to this stuff. So, I hear one thing, and I can't get it out of my head. So, I'm watching, here's The Rock fighting Idris Elba, and Jason Statham and The Rock are both landing punches and they're getting equally beaten up and at the end of the scene there's always this weird deus ex machina that comes out of nowhere to relieve the tension and end the fight because again no single person can win or lose that particular battle (laughs) every fight has to end in a draw but of course these characters are like international assassins right? They are fighting to the death. So you can't just call it off. Like Idris and The Rock just shake hands and walk away. You have to add these weird plot contrivances. So like, for example, I don't remember the exact details from Hobbs and Shaw. The plot is very sketchy to me. I don't remember shit. I was watching the spectacle. I was enjoying uh, The Rock's eyebrow and that was it. But I remember there was a battle where Idris Elba, Jason Statham, and The Rock were on a flatbed truck. And they were driving through this laboratory where they were doing nuclear testing. And the laboratory was blowing up in the background as this truck was driving around and the action stars were landing punches on top of it. And so at a certain point in the scene, it looks like the fight is is pretty even. And I was noticing this because I had read the Wall Street Journal article. And uh, out of nowhere, Idris Elba just falls off the truck and gets buried under some rubble. And he wags his fist like a good movie villain does and says, I'll get you one of these days, The Rock. I'll get you one of these days, Hobbs and Shaw. Um, and I noticed this happens after every single fight sequence. It never ends on an emotional note of any kind. It always ends with some weird sense of neutrality. There's no ups, there's no downs. It's all just an even staccato. That's how that's how every fight sequence in the Fast and Furious series is structured. Um look. Far be it from me, as I said, to tell these people how to make movies. I love these movies. I will continue to go back. I marvel at the craftsmanship in a lot of these movies. Like, Fast Five 
is one of the best action movies I think I've ever seen. It's perhaps one of the greatest action movies ever made. It's just incredible. And these these movies just understand what they are. They have such a firm grasp on their identity. You know exactly what you're going to get. They know exactly what is expected of them. And, uh, and they just do it. So, again, far be it for me to criticize the methodology here. It's just so ridiculous. <laughs> it's so ridiculous. The, the, the ego of man, sometimes. It's quite incredible. I will say this, though. To transition into a mini-review of this movie. I, I want to do a movie hopping about it, but Adam will never see it. Because he's a sourpuss when it comes to this franchise. Um, I needed Vin Diesel. Give me some Vin. I need some more Diesel for my engine. Oh, man, it's such a bummer that Dom Toretto is not in this movie. It's such a bummer. The entire time I was like, yeah, I'm really enjoying this. Chad Stahelski, is that the guy's name? The director of the original John Wick, and he went on to do, I think, Deadpool 2, Atomic Blonde, an excellent fight choreographer, a stuntman, I believe, himself, um, and has turned into a, a damn good action movie director. Does a great job behind the camera, and Statham and The Rock are charming as hell, and Idris is having a fun time, and um, it, it's just a solid cast top to bottom. And I kept thinking to myself, yeah, I'm enjoying this, I like the cameos, I'm laughing along. But something's missing. Something special is missing. And I have no answer other than it's Vin. You need Vin Diesel in this movie. He injects this sincerity, this earnestness to the franchise that The Rock and Jason Statham just don't have. Like, The Rock is making a straight comedy when he makes Hobbs and Shaw. He thinks he is in an action comedy. He thinks he's doing Lethal Weapon. He thinks he's doing uh, 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 21 Jump Street. He thinks he's doing Baywatch. Jason Statham, I'm sure, thinks similarly. Vin Diesel thinks he's making Citizen Kane. Vin Diesel thinks he's making The Godfather. Vin Diesel thinks he's making Gone with the Wind. There is no wink. There is no nudge. He plays it straight to the bone. And, like, I get no one else in the room thinks that way about the Fast and Furious franchise. No director, no actor, no screenwriter that has ever worked on this series believes they are changing the course of film history. But Vin Diesel believes that. And you buy it. You buy it in his performance. You buy it in his interviews away from the camera. You buy it when he's accepting awards at the MTV Movie Awards. There's this added baggage because of the whole Paul Walker situation. It's like Vin Diesel really cares about this shit. And that's why these movies have so much heart. That's why they're so charming. That's why, to me, they're quite moving. Because it's a guy with no self-awareness making something special i love it i love vin diesel and hobbs and shaw yeah it's an action comedy but like i go to the fast and furious movies because they're about family family above everything as vin is 
fond of saying. For my brother, Paul Walker. I love that guy. He was lacking in this movie, I gotta be honest. There was... It, it lacked heart. It was all style, not a lot of substance. And whether or not it's intentional or not, Vin Diesel brings a shit ton of heart and a shit ton of substance. You know? So now we know. Now we know. You can't just plug in any actor into this formula and make it work. In fact, the box office returns were not great this weekend. I think it made $60 million at the box office. Something like that, which was under expectations for sure. I mean, the Fast movies have become a dependable franchise over the last few years. Um, maybe I can look this up here. Um, so, yeah. Furious 7 made 350 at the box office, open to 147 its first weekend. Yeah, Hobbs and Shaw only made 60 which is a better opening than the original Fast and Furious, Too Fast, Too Furious, and Tokyo Drift. Everything since Fast and Furious 4 has opened to a number higher than 60 million. So, yeah, I, I would say that underperformed. Like, clearly, it, th- these, uh, these movies need Vin Diesel. And Vin Diesel needs these movies. <laughs> um, so, yeah, look, I dug it. I thought it was fine. I had a good time in the theater. But um, something was missing. And I'm sure we will get more of it when Fast and Furious 9 hits theaters May 22nd of next year. And of course, that's followed by Fast and Furious 10 in 2021. All right, let's take a break. When we come back, we're entering the world of music and talking some Katy Perry. Oh, yes. Some Dark Horse talk on your favorite Dark Horse podcast. It's cultured. Stick around. All righty then. Um, there's a controversy. There's a lawsuit, as a matter of fact. It's a controversy in writing. That's what this is. Katy Perry's getting sued. Or I believe was sued. And there was a judgment made not in her favor. Let's talk about this. So... There's this Christian rap artist. His name is uh, Marcus Gray. His uh, stage name is Flame. I don't know many Christian rap artists, um, but I'm sure they're lovely people for the most part. This guy, Marcus Gray, does not seem like such a nice guy. Seems like a bit of an opportunist. I don't know. That's just me. Um, He released this song called Joyful Noise. I'm going to play Joyful Noise for you right now. And you can find this on YouTube. The YouTube numbers have spiked recently. I I can only imagine why. It's almost like they filed this lawsuit just to get some publicity and attention. Can you believe it? The music industry abusing the legal system in an effort to gain listens? Nah. Let's listen to Joyful Noise by Flame. Here it is. You know what it is. I love it. Uh. Yeah. I love Let's it. Let's talk about it. Your boy's been a Christian quite a few years. Victory and faith, but I failed in my fears. I heard a lot of words. 
All right, so you heard that little beat at the beginning. Right? So that's Joyful Noise. So this song was released, I guess, oh, 2009 or something. 2008, 2009. Yeah, somewhere along those lines. A few years later, Katy Perry comes out with the song Dark Horse. And in case you're unfamiliar, sounds a bit like this. Yeah, y'all know what it is. Katy Perry. Juicy J. Uh-huh. Let's raid. And here you were. You were gonna come to me. And here you are. But you better choose carefully. Cause I, I'm capable of anything. So you hear a similar beat underneath this song. So uh, that's Dark Horse. Now, someone heard this and thought, wait a minute. These songs sound kind of the same in this one part. Like, they don't share any melody or anything. (laughs) But... Who needs musical expertise on their side? I think these songs sound similar. I'm going to file a copyright infringement lawsuit against Katy Perry and uh, the producers of the song, including Dr. Luke, a complicated character um, in, in, uh, in the music industry. This guy named Circuit, Max Martin, and rapper Juicy J, who all appeared um, on the track or were involved in the track in some way. Um... So, this goes to court. A jury rules in favor of Marcus Gray, a.k.a. Flame, and orders Katy Perry's camp to pay $2.78 million in damages, although her record label Capitol Records will foot the majority of the bill. Um, People online are not happy about this. And there's this one guy on YouTube whose name is Adam Neely. N-E-E-L-Y is the last name. First name, Adam. Look him up. He published a video about this whole debacle a few days ago. And it is, I believe, the most well-articulated explanation of the lawsuit that you could ever need. This is the video I use to familiarize myself with the controversy. um, Because he knows his shit. He is, I believe, a musician and composer in his own right. And he makes music-related videos for YouTube. So... He set the stakes for the lawsuit, explained both sides of the discussion, and ultimately explained that the lawsuit is total bullshit, just like the people who filed it. So let me now try my best to summarize Adam Neely's main points. Bear with me for a few. So that descending pattern that you hear, which appears to be the central focus of this lawsuit is what Adam Neely describes as a descending ostinato. Now, as I understand it, again, I could be wrong, ostinatos um, act in a complementary capacity to the melody of the song. It is a harmony, not a melody. It is not intended 
to be the focus of the listener. It's like a bass line or a drum beat, but it's even more subtle than that. It's a number of notes that repeat over and over and over again to, I guess, inject a sense of, uh, of fullness to the track. Again, it's not the melody. It is not the focus of the listener. It's like a bass line. It's like a drum beat. You cannot copyright a bass line. You can't copyright a repeating ostinato. You can only copyright a melody. That's what's unique to the song. So, as Adam Neely describes in the video in a quite humorous way, I'll play it for you now. This repeating ostinato is mighty similar to a number of other musical tracks that are not this Christian rap song. All right, so here he is, Adam Neely, in, in a humorous way, describing uh, this descending ostinato. Wait, wait, wait. I'm sorry about that. That's actually not the Katy Perry. That's the Adagio from Bach's Violin Sonata in F minor. This is Katy Perry's Dark Horse. Wait, sorry. Got confused again. That's the traditional Christmas carol, Jolly Old St. Nicholas. This is the Katy Perry. Actually, I'm sorry. I keep getting confused. That's the spiritual Go Down Moses. This is the Katy Perry. Wait a second, I'm so sorry. That's actually Akira Ikafube's theme to 1954's Godzilla. This is actually Katy Perry's Dark Horse. So the question is... So you get the point. Um, this beat does not serve in a primary capacity, but in a complementary capacity. And uh, as he describes specifically, here's the quote from Adam Neely. The two songs in contention don't share the same melody, nor the same chord progression, or even bass line and drum groove. It's only a repeated melodic fragment whose variants have been used throughout music history. So, in other words, this rapper isn't claiming ownership of Katy Perry's song, but he's claiming ownership of one tiny fragment of Katy Perry's song. One building block, one insignificant piece that's been used in Bach compositions and Christmas carols and Godzilla theme songs. So, like, not cool. You can't copyright that shit. That's not intellectual property. But, of course, a jury doesn't know that. A jury just hears two songs that sound sort of similar. Like, they're both sort of airy and breathy. And, I mean, you hear the pattern. The pattern is fairly prominent in both songs. But, again, they don't share a melody. They don't share a chord progression. Uh, no similar bass line. No similar drum beat. So, this got me thinking about copyright law. And, you know, that happens from time to time. That's just how my mind operates. Copyright law is just on the brain. You know how it is. Um, this got me thinking about where you draw the line. What is intellectual property? What is fair game for copyright? And what is free use? Can you claim ownership of song fragments? And it turns out there's actually some precedent on this. Um... Back in 2013, remember the whole Robin Thicke debacle over the song Blurred Lines? Yeah, that shitty summer song. 
Robin Thicke, Pharrell Williams, put out this song called Blurred Lines, and it sounded oddly similar to Marvin Gaye's Gotta Give It Up. Let me play the YouTube clip for you right now in case you forgot, because this was a fairly big story in 2013. Take a listen to Blurred Lines versus Gotta Give It Up. This is Blurred Lines, by the way. This is now Marvin Gaye. So again, um, not the same melody, not the same melody at all, but similar harmonious patterns. And that lawsuit ended in a $5 million settlement. Um, So it's really interesting. It's actually quite fascinating. The rules were sort of thrown out the window after the blurred lines thing. Everyone just thought, yeah, you can copyright a melody. You can copyright lyrics. You can copyright, you know, the, the very basic stuff, but... The building blocks, the background noise, that's fair game. Like, these elements are a part of the language of music. It would be like writing a novel and copywriting the word the. (laughs) The words are not the intellectual property. The ideas, the arrangement of those words are the intellectual property. So you can only go so far down the rabbit hole. You can only go so deep. You can't copyright each and every element. You have to look at it more holistically. But these lawsuits have set a dangerous precedent. Now we don't know where the line is. So I guess my question to you, the listener, is where do you draw the line? And I frankly don't know. I just don't know. Because I'm not Adam Neely. And it seems like you need some level of musical expertise in order to comment on these issues. So I won't go there. But what I will say is this. Um, there are only so many pop songs. You know what I mean? There are only so many novels. There are only so many movies. There are only so many TV shows. Art is derivative as fuck. And it's been that way as long as I can remember. Certainly the entirety of my life. There are five kinds of movies that come out every year. There are, if we're lucky, ten kinds of TV shows that come out a year. You got your superhero movies. You got your action movies. You got your rom-coms. You got your Oscar bait dramas. And you got your horror movies. And then you got your sitcoms. And you got your fantasy shows. And you got your comp dramas. And you got your hospital dramas. And you got your MTV reality shows. And they're all basically variations of something else. This is art. 
This is the business. This is the game. It's that great stars is born line that Sam Elliott tells Lady Gaga at the end of that movie. Music is basically just eight notes. And the magic is how you arrange those notes, whether or not you can move people with your arrangement. But again, you're not reinventing the wheel every time you write a pop song. You're not reinventing the wheel every time you write a screenplay. You're copying something. There are only a certain number of true innovators, true originals that write music or make movies or write novels. And everyone's just copying them. Think about how many films that come out a year directly rip off William Shakespeare. Everything we know about storytelling comes from Shakespeare and the Bible. It's basically it. Every other movie, we're borrowing elements from the Bible. Every time you see a Christ image in a superhero movie, thank the Bible. King James, however, is not suing Zack Snyder for copyright infringement. We borrow basic elements all the time. This shit is derivative. So I tend to side with the creators on this. The creators that are being persecuted. I tend to side with them and say, listen, you can copyright your lyrics. You can copyright your original recordings. Anything that you directly produced is fine. But the remixes, the derivations, the stuff that sort of sounds kind of similar, nah, that's fair game. Like, I think you should be able to sample anything. Truly, I think just sample it. Go ahead, make it your own. That's art. Like, every time I quote a novel, if I quote To Kill a Mockingbird in my book, is the Harper Lee estate going to sue me? Like, I'm not allowed to borrow basic elements of your shit? Like, I, I, I truly, it's a really delicate balance. There's this great um, existential question. I forget where I heard this, but it's a great thought experiment. And when I say it to you, it's going to blow your mind, especially if you're under the influence of some narcotic. <laughs> So maybe put the bong down for a second and listen up. Imagine an algorithm. Imagine a, a, a high-speed computer that is capable of producing as many variations of a thousand pixels as possible. So obviously on a computer screen, each pixel has a finite number of colors that it can fill that pixel with. There are thousands upon thousands of shades of green, thousands upon thousands of shades of red, etc., etc. If you ever use Photoshop, you understand how pixels work. So you fill a pixel, and then you fill the next pixel, and you repeat this pattern with the algorithm over and over again. And eventually, because this is how monitors work, you will be able to produce every photo that's ever been taken. Every photo that's ever been taken could, in a bubble, be produced by an algorithm if the computer had the capacity and we had the ability to search it. So now imagine that same principle, a computer filling a finite number of pixels with a finite number of colors 
over and over again and imagine that algorithm setting those pictures to sound and putting them in motion. And now you're producing feature-length films with an algorithm. You could theoretically produce The Godfather out of thin air. You could produce Jaws out of thin air. If your computer had the capacity and we were able to search for it, you could recreate every frame of every movie you've ever seen. And obviously, it's the same with music. Just repeat a bunch of notes. It's that old phrase. If you put a bunch of monkeys in a room with some typewriters, eventually they're going to bang out Shakespeare. It blew my mind when I heard this. All art derives from a common language. There are a finite number of building blocks. It's about how you arrange them. You're not really creating anything. You're just remixing the tools that are already at your disposal. Whoa. Whoa. In the future, robots will make art. We won't have to do it. Ah! It's terrifying, but it's true. So everyone, settle down with your copyright infringement. Quit taking ownership of stuff that belongs to everyone. This is the nature of art. Flame, whatever the hell your name is, deal with it. Dark Horse is a jam, and it ain't your jam. One more break, and we'll come back with more Cultured. Stick around. I'm just getting started, baby. Couple little tidbits, then we'll go. Uh, Andy Circus directing Venom 2. Coming to a theater near you uh, before you know it. Um, wow, interesting choice. I don't know who did the first Venom. I still haven't seen the first Venom. Worth a look? I mean, I don't know. It's Tom Hardy. That movie looked like a comedy to me. Who did this? Um, Ruben Fleischer. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. This guy did Zombieland. That's right. Yeah, and uh, 30 Seconds for Less. Okay, so it was a comedy. Uh, Andy Serkis, interesting choice. I don't think Andy Serkis has ever directed anything of note. Uh, I know he did the uh, Jungle Book remake that wasn't the John Favreau Jungle Book. Yeah, Mowgli, Legend of the Jungle. It's Jungle Book without calling it Jungle Book. Um, and uh, I heard it was very underwhelming. And I think he did like another romance at some point. Uh, look, I love Andy Serkis. I think he should have been nominated for an Oscar for his portrayal of Caesar in the Planet of the Apes movies. Seriously, I think the guy is super talented. Um, I just don't understand why you trust this franchise to him. I guess they got nothing to lose. <laughs> the first Venom was total shit and it made money. Yeah, he did this movie called Breathe in 2017. Which, yeah, was apparently not great. Claire Foy, Andrew Garfield in that movie. Yeah, stay uh, in front of the camera, Andy. Under thick layers of CGI balls. <laughs> Stay as Gollum. We don't need you becoming Stanley Kubrick. Venom 2 coming soon. Uh, I listened to that new Chance the Rapper album. I guess that is his first album. Is that right? Yeah. 
uh what's that thing called again just had it open on spotify um the big day yeah so i guess coloring book was just an ep and this is his debut album finally yeah i am um i'm really losing patience with chance he's really starting to 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 become grating i don't know i'm just not into that sound anymore maybe maybe i'm just like in a worse mood than i was in 2016 when coloring book was released but i remember that record being a breath of fresh air to me i'm like yeah it's rap but it's happy like chance loves his life he has a kid and a girlfriend and he's having a good time and he's a christian and like i want to hang out with chance you know i want whatever this guy's smoking this this dude just loves the world and now i'm like oh come off it <laughs> maybe i'm more cynical maybe i'm looking for something with a bit of an edge i don't know though i don't i don't watch movies that way maybe the record just sucks i don't know i, I didn't have the same um eye-opening experience that I did when I was listening to Coloring Book. Maybe this guy's lost a step. Maybe he was lightning in a bottle. I think it's quite likely, actually. I saw a great article a few months ago that was comparing Chance to Will Smith and how he became sort of the nice guy rapper that all the kids liked. Parents allowed their children to listen to rap because it was Will Smith. And Chance is becoming dangerously close to that archetype he's right on the edge of will smith i think he still has enough cred to uh, like release legitimate hip-hop music but it is a bit safe it's a bit watered down and i know like as my brother is fond of saying he hates chance he finds that act to be disingenuous he thinks it's a character and and it doesn't come across as real to him I'm not really of that mindset. I still like the guy. I like his sound. I like his ear for melody. Um, It's similar to the things I like about Kanye's music, but uh, didn't love this record. The Big Day. Can't say I recommend just yet. Can't say I recommend. Um, Speaking of rap, a lot of music talk on today's podcast. Lil Nas X, 18 weeks at the number one spot on the Billboard charts. An all-time record. All-time record. I think it broke the record last week. As Bill Maher said, like, if you want to know what America is and how we're sort of on the right track, the number one song in the country is a black guy rapping country music and he's gay. We can't be that bad. Our country can't be that hateful. When Lil Nas X is succeeding on the on the Billboard charts. Here's the thing. I don't think this record is a reflection on how good Old Town Road is, but a reflection on how terrible this summer of music has been. It's been a really weak summer. There hasn't been like one standout summer jam that I can point to and say, this is what I was listening to in 2019. No major acts really released anything this summer, right? Nothing from Drake, nothing from Beyonce and Jay-Z, nothing from Kanye. Uh, Taylor Swift, I guess, has something coming out next month. But yeah, it's just been a very cold summer. So Lil Nas X, the SoundCloud rapper that could, has filled that slot quite nicely. 
I'm already sick of Old Town Road, but apparently the public isn't. So congratulations, Lil Nas X, on breaking an all-time Billboard record. Uh, is there anything else I want to get to? Oh, I guess... Oh, no, I guess I talked about The Irishman already on on uh, on movie hopping. If you, if you have not listened to, by the way, my review of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, go listen to that. Our buddy Jabril joined Adam and I for a thorough discussion of Quentin Tarantino's latest movie, a movie that I adore. Um, we talked about the Irishman trailer as well. There was a lot of extra movie talk on that podcast. I'm really skeptical about this CGI. Not going to lie to you. Yeesh. De Niro at the end of that trailer is exactly what I thought it was going to look like. Oh, boy. I mean, I think it's worse than Clark Gregg in in Captain Marvel this year, right? I think it's significantly worse. The de-aging CGI. Like, why not just cast a younger actor to play young De Niro? Why not cast young Pacino? Why do we got to de-age them? What, why is Scorsese becoming George Lucas in front of our very eyes? It really, it really gives me bad vibes. I don't know. It's opening the Venice Film Festival. Oh, I did want to talk about that real quick. The Venice Film Festival, August 28th. An interesting lineup. The Irishman will be debuting there, along with a new film from Roman Polanski. Ugh. <laughs> they let him in the building? Yikes. Todd Phillips' Joker will also compete at Venice, along with Brad Pitt's Ad Astra uh, and, a, and a number of other Oscar bait movies. I'm pumped. I'm pumped. Man, fall's coming. Oscar movie's coming. Fire up the engines, baby. Oh, I can't believe it's already the fall. Wow, football's right around the corner. I did a fantasy football mock draft the other day. I always slot in. To, to this time of year quite nicely you know summer's ending so i'm not about that like i enjoy the warm weather and i'm not looking forward to the cold i don't want to wear a sweater i don't want to see a sweater anytime soon so that's tough but with the fall oscar movies and football starting up and fantasy dominates my life uh, i'm ready for it succession starts next week on hbo can't wait to talk about that show if you have not caught up to succession if i may recommend a TV show for your binging pleasure. Watch the first season before it debuts on HBO season two this Sunday. Ah, cannot wait. All right. I think that's going to do it for this week's edition of cultured. I'll try to be back as soon as possible. I am going on vacation though. Brief vacation for about four days this weekend. Um, so I don't know. This might be late. I may have to skip another week. I'm sorry. I've been busy. I'm living my life. Look, man. Tell your friends about this podcast. Share it on social media. Tell your tell your buds to subscribe. Help me add some listeners. And that way, I can start making money on this damn podcast. So I can just lock myself in, in my office producing content for you. Glorious content like a kid in a sweatshop. That's what I want to do. I want to turn too many thoughtsmedia.com into a well-oiled machine that can pay my bills, put food in my mouth, keep the lights on here, 
and, and and then I'll never have to do anything else. But listen, I've been busy. I've had multiple obligations to fulfill. So we've been a little light on podcasts. But anyway, that's what you got to do this for. I got to start getting paid. Pay me, people. Pay me in your love and your adoration. Share this show with all of your friends. And do subscribe on each and every podcast platform. iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Find Cultured and Why Is This a Thing and The Nico Show and The Movie Hall of Fame, Get Blurted, Fantasy Book of the Month. They're all available on each and every platform and on the site tmt.media or toomanythoughtsmedia.com. Folks, I've had it. I've got to go. But I love you so very, very much. And I'll talk to you soon. Believe that. I will be back soon. In fact, next week. Because then and only then will you and I Get cultured! See ya!